0: Hi, and welcome to the College Financial Lady podcast. I'm Ann Garcia, a fee-only financial advisor in Portland, Oregon and author of the College Financial Lady blog. Today, I'm talking with Louis DeLuca. Lou is the coordinator for student financial literacy and advising at Southern Connecticut State University. His program has been recognized as one of the top financial literacy programs in the country. Um, In his role, he helps students and families make good financial decisions about education. Welcome Lou, I'm so glad to have you here.
1: Thank you so much, I'm happy to be here.
0: So um, what are some of the common sources of confusion about money for students and families when they're, when they're looking at college, whether doing their initial research or trying to pick which of their acceptances to
1: enroll at? Great question. There's lots of confusion, but let's talk, let me touch on a few points that I think I see more often than I don't. Cost of attendance. Every college will put together a cost of attendance budget. It is not the bill, and lots of times that figure scares families away because they think it is the bill. Well, the cost of attendance is made up of two factors, direct costs and indirect costs. So a direct cost is a billable cost from the university to the student. Tuition and fees is an example of a direct cost. Everybody pays tuition and fees. Room and board, if living on campus, would also be considered direct costs. So for most college students, tuition and fees and potentially room and board are direct costs. But indirect costs also make up that figure or that budget, books, supplies, personal transportation, off-campus living for students that don't live on campus. So I think that's one major areas of confusion is understanding that the bill is not the cost of the day. The second one, EFC, the Estimated Family Contribution from the FAFSA. Very few families, when they see that number, are pleased, uh, unless it's zero. Um, if it's zero, that means the government does not believe that the family has excess funding to contribute to the education. But anything above that usually is, you know, becomes an issue. The challenge is the way that determination and calculation was created was decades ago, and may or may not be at least with most families, reality of, you know, you know, this is the amount that I'm expected to pay for college. It also goes a little bit towards ability versus willingness. So just because the government may say with my EFC that I may have an ability to contribute X amount towards my son or daughter's education or, or towards the education, the willingness isn't always there with families. Another challenge that that I've seen, especially talking with families and students proactively, you know, juniors and high schools and seniors, even before the application process is, I think there's a misconception that we'll file the FAFSA and financial aid will fully pay the bill. Well, maybe 20 plus years ago that was the case when college costs a lot less, but that's just not reality today. So yes, financial aid may pay some of the bill, grants, loans, scholarships from the university. But the reality is there's, there's usually some kind of gap. The gap is what the bill is less the financial aid that the, choose- is, that the student is choosing to take. And that's really where I spend the bulk of my time advising is those options, you know, are there college savings plans? What about parent loans, private loans, the university's payment plans, scholarships, you know, things of that nature. The reality is most families haven't saved enough or put enough into a 529 college savings plan to fully cover the cost of the school, be it a full year public or private. So understanding that and looking through financial aid to say, all right, what can the financial aid cover? And okay, so now let's be realistic and what are the options to cover the rest? So I think those are some confusion issues for lots of families.
0: You know, one of the things that we found when my kids applied to college, so my son, for example, applied to two different schools, and when he got his initial letters, it looked like one cost $7,000 a year more than the other, and it turned out that one of them had quoted their highest price dorm and meal plan, and the other had quoted the lowest price dorm and meal plan, and... So you know, we were telling him, "No, you can't go to your dream school because it's the same thing for seven thousand dollars more." Um, you know, unfortunately, going there meant a lot to him, and he took it on himself to to do his homework and 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 figure out where a lot of that difference was coming from.
1: Well, that's important, absolutely. Yeah, again, when we do our budgeting here, we normally assume the standard double occupancy room with the unlimited meal plan is what we have at our institution. So that's me and a roommate plus the unlimited meal plan. There are less expensive options, living in a triple as an example. There are more expensive options, you know, living in a single, you know, for example. So yeah, the, the cost of attendance, if, if not savvy and, and not, you know, being able to say, well, is this exactly what I'm gonna pay for room and board? And what does that entail? You know other other options you know things of that nature you're right sometimes the cost of attendance is at the average when it comes to house cost that may or may not be super accurate with the actual is. Yeah. yeah
0: so you and i when we you know when we work with families who are planning for college we spend a lot of time in what i would say is the crux of a conundrum that has huge financial implications you know colleges are a business and they treat enrollment and enrollment management and financial aid as aspects of their business and yet the customers of this business you know the students and their families for them it's almost more of a passion project (laughs) and um and and so you you probably have a more elegant way of saying this and i because i really don't mean to apply imply that colleges are mercenary or that students are wrong to engage emotionally in their educational goals Um, but what I'd like to hear is, you know, any recommendations or suggestions you have on how students and families can bring more rational thinking into the application and decision and selection um, process. Because it is an emotional, it is an emotional journey, um, you know, both for parents and for students and, and oftentimes that's what leads to the worst types of decisions.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So. I think one of the, the challenges that, I don't know if this pressure is coming from peers, if it's coming from guidance counselors, if it's coming from parents, is if I'm the student, then I want to go to the most selective institution that I can be accepted to. So, and if I have prioritized my college list that way, then I I put an emotion into that. Now, I may not get into my reach school. And if I do, from a financial perspective, I'm probably not gonna get a great financial aid offer from that school because it's a reach. I'm probably getting a much better award financial aid package from my safety school that I may not wanna to go to. So sometimes it's the, you know, how do you take the emotion of, well, if I don't go to the most successful school, I'm not gonna be, you know, successful. And it's, it's just not true, right? There are thousands of colleges out there that most college students would be very successful at, okay? The challenge is when it comes to emotion versus reality is I like to I like to be as proactive as I can with my families. The challenge is usually it's not real for families until the acceptance letters come and the financial aid letters come. And we're talking the spring of senior year this time. And it's not like we can turn back the clock and say, gee, I wish I had saved more, you know, and put in money into 529 when, when she was born, you know, now we've got to pay a bill, you know, in two months. So being realistic when it comes to the financial part, there are some tools. I like the FAFSA, the FAFSA forecaster as a tool, mm-hmm. just so it tells me what my estimated family contribution could look like, based on the information that I put into it. It's anonymous, nobody sees it, so I share that as a tool proactively for the high school freshmen, sophomore, and even junior families to say, this is what we make, these are our assets, let's just see what our EFC would look like, okay? Not really knowing what that means yet. But also the colleges are all, re- all required to have a net price calculator. That can be both good news and bad. Good news is the, the NPC might be very accurate to the kind of financial aid package that my daughter may see, or it may be based on two, three-year-old data that is is kind of a waste of time, okay? So being realistic from a financial perspective, unless we're in the top 1% of the population, we're probably not getting a full ride to college. We're not getting 100% of our need met. as a student. So the rest of the population, the 99%, We've got to understand that there is going to be what is called a gap, and sometimes it's a form of discounting from the university. So, from the business perspective, the college wants to enroll as many students as it can, based on how many they choose to admit, and they have yield percentages, and it's all it's, it's all formulated. Okay. Well the college may elect to give my daughter a certain amount of free money and grant or scholarship, but may give our neighbor more or less amount of free grant or scholarship money. Um, And again, it's it's, it's not getting into the weeds of, you know, you know, college admissions per se and and gapping in financial aid. But the reality is, I'm not going to get enough financial aid to pay for school. The question is, Do I have the means as a student and family to cover that gap? Or do I need to be looking at maybe a lesser selective school that still has everything that I'm looking for in a college, but due to the nature of finances, it's more affordable to go there maybe than to my dream school. Last piece on this is the business of it. The college wants to enroll as many students as it can ideally giving out the least amount of aid possible, okay? Most colleges are not blessed to give full rides to everyone. There's your highly selective 1% of schools who I said will meet that 100% of need, but the rest, that's just not reality. Now, students can appeal, families can appeal to the financial aid folks. Hey, there's been a change in our earnings, COVID-19 being a huge example, you know, most recently, or you know, another form of job loss, things of that nature. Hey, you know, the FAFSA really is two years old, and we've had a lot of changes in our family finances over the past two years that you don't know about. Can we appeal so that you can reconsider? That happens all the time with college. It it happened pre-COVID. It's a form of professional judgment that the financial aid offices have. Well, there's another form of appeal that can, you know, be both, emotional in reality sometimes is, hey, you know what, safety school, excuse me, you know what, first choice school, you know, other school gave me a better package, I, but I really wanna to come to your school. Can we negotiate? You know, there are some schools, you know, more privates I think than publics from my experiences that may work that and say, you know, and, and I advise families all the time, you know, should I appeal and, you know, and how do I do that, you know? You want to know, is there an amount of money that it's going to take to make it work? If so, ask for that addition. Worst case scenario is the college says, sorry, we can't make that happen. You know, sometimes, you know, can there be a compromise? You know, so kind of the business from the college's perspective, but students can kind of turn that around in families. You know, if the college wants me bad enough or my daughter bad enough, maybe they're willing to increase, you know, you know, a grant for a scholarship. Yeah,
0: and I think that's something that a lot of families really overlook. You know, we we listen so much to the narrative coming out of the Harvards and Stanfords of the world that, you know, you'd be lucky to get in here if you if you could. That I think a lot of families don't um, don't really factor in the fact that most colleges are actively trying to recruit students. And financial aid and merit scholarships are one of the tools that they use to do to do so. And so, you know, to the extent that you can target schools where you are a desirable applicant,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you're going to increase your likelihood of getting financial aid. And then, you know, this year in particular with admissions being so, so bizarre, I think there will be many schools that will happily, you know, up your up your scholarship award just to get you to sign on the x
1: absolutely absolutely one other you know you know quick piece is so i mentioned gap gapping and discounting so as, as an example because that may be a foreign term to lots of students and families so let's say i've applied to a public school in a private school okay the public school may discount my cost 30% so it, they, my bill would technically be 100%. They're going to discount me 30%. Well, I've got to come up with the remaining 70%. Whereas the private school that tends to cost two, three times more than sometimes public school, they might discount me 60%. It means I got to come up with the extra 40%. But again, you got to be aware, you know, we're, you know what is the bottom line? Okay. So I hear, I work obviously for a state school. So I have families all the time telling me, you know, ex private gave more financial aid than than your school. And that happens probably, you know, the vast majority of the time because ex-private school costs two to three times. So let's <laughs> look at what, right, let's look at what's 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 the net price? What are we paying for? Right. There's that discounting piece, you know, you know, and you've read books and I've read books and we've done research, you know wouldn't it be nice if the advertised price was what it was and you know there were no discounting so to go to x school be it public or private this is the bill and you know that would take merit aid out of it it would basically be federal aid loans and grants i don't think that's reality you know based on the marketplace but but it, it, it it can be very confusing to families
0: and you know, here's here's the other thing. At a lot of the top private schools, somewhere between a third and a half of families aren't even filing the FAFSA at all, so they're paying full freight. So why would those schools turn down that money? And that money then flows over to the other students that they're that they're trying to recruit.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Supply and demand. Right. I can increase my costs, you know, the government increases Pell Grant eligibility, I can then increase my cost to offset it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's the, the business side. Yeah. So, um,
0: you know, let's switch gears and talk about the FAFSA a little bit. Lots of people spend all kinds of time and energy planning for the FAFSA. I would say, you know, 90% of the questions on my blog are about how do I adjust such and such to be do better on the FAFSA. And there's certainly nothing wrong with planning for it and positioning yourself better for aid. But you know, the truth is, as you pointed out, very, very few schools meet 100% of financial aid, uh, of financial need, and even less do so through grants. You know, often, Times a big part of that is made up through loans and work study, so, so what recommendations do you have for specific steps families can take to get on a path to affordable college?
1: Right. No, it, it's a great question, and it's it's it, it's frustrating for the, the the multiple decades that I've been doing paying for college or what schools call high schools call financial aid nights, and 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 that's exactly it. There are so many families that are, I don't know if they're purposely trying to, to game the system or cheat a little, but it's, do I have to report that? Do I have to report this? You Can know, I call to, my to, rental
0: property a business? since it's Right, right, exactly. <laughs> so I look at, I, I give look totally at money to my sister.
1: <laughs> sure, sure. You know, and again, I had, you know, and I have parents all the time that tell me, so if, We get divorced, and she goes to live with the lesser-earning parent. We're going to get more financial aid. Well, technically, yes, but is that, you know, what you choose to do So a couple of things that I think are important that I don't think families know about, and and, and I always share this. So, and and, and you know this, there's that misconception that, you know what? I saved for my daughter's education. I put money aside. I put it in a 529, and it hurt me in financial aid. That's the perception. Let's talk the reality. The reality is, right, a 529 is a parent asset on the FAFSA. Less than 6% of that asset goes towards the EFC, okay? Now, if I've got a million dollars in a 529, which, you know, most people don't, okay, but 6% of that asset, to me, doesn't make a big impact on the FAFSA, okay? Where the bigger impact is, is parent earnings right? Adjusted gross income for parents, you know, 25 to nearly 50% of their AGI goes towards the EFC. So, do you want to lower your FAFSA EFC? You you take a pay cut? People aren't going to do that, you know? You know, is some savvy enough to put more money into their retirement that year, you know, that FAFSA year? It's just not, you know, it's just not reality. So, again, I think there's so much emphasis played into, you know, do I have to report this on the FAFSA? And, and again, the FAFSA is just really determining federal financial need, okay? So most fam, if we take a typical family it's with not two- tooth fairy? No, not quite, not quite. <laughs> so if you take a typical family that has two earners, okay? Probably not Pell eligible, which means the EFC is higher than 5,000, okay? So for, for that, the, for those families, the EFC could be from 5,000 to you know, 100,000 And the really it's only determining is, is it subsidized loan? Is it unsubsidized loan? Is the university gonna give grant money? So I think again, and I, and I say this all the time, I think more emphasis needs to go in. I see what the sticker price for the school is, I may be able to figure out the gap or discounting through the net price calculator or the FAFSA forecaster to kind of figure out, and this is obviously, I can't necessarily figure out merit aid unless the school is black and white and says, if your GPA is this and your class rank is that, and your SATs are this or ACT, you get X merit scholarship. But the reality is there's going to be a gap. How big is it? we don't know until it's official per se. But but you're right. I think it, it, it can be frustrating as a financial advisor, you know, when families are it, it's fafsa question after fafsa question after fafsa question as opposed to how are we really going to pay, right? Because we know financial aid is only going to cover so much.
0: Well, and and you know, the thing that I see from families is this sense from parents that that my inability to provide my child with the educational path that is perfect for them is a personal failing of mine that will result in future failings of them. And and it's very hard to (laughs) get out of that mindset and into the mindset of there are so many great colleges doing great things many of whom will be happy to have your child there. So let's figure out a budget that works for you and then find schools that are likely to meet that budget.
1: Right, no, absolutely. And again, I look at, you know, during my college admissions years, you know, meeting with guidance counselors all the time, you know, that it's not an an enviable job. You know, a portion that a high school guidance counselor commits to college preparation and assistance is far less than advising and personal issues and things of that nature. Now, if a student is at a you know a prep school or a private school, there's more college placement focus, you know, based on just the nature of those schools. So, you know, I, I think it's challenging, you know, parents want the best for their for their students. And they believe that oftentimes the, the highest costing, just because it costs more means it's a better school, which we know isn't necessarily reality. Okay, maybe in the Ivy League, but for everybody else, I, you know, I I beg to differ. So, so yeah, I don't think enough of those questions when you're using, you know, the college board to kind of, you know, big future to put together the colleges and the majors and the location and all these factors. Um, They don't have a search buttons. will cost me (laughs) less than $30,000 a year. True, but College Navigator for families that are are, are familiar with that, you know, and I shared that with, with, with a college roommate of mine whose daughter is going through the process right now. She's been admitted to a bunch of great institutions and, right, they all have the major, they all cost, let's say, relatively the same. Okay, what student loan debt on average look like at this school? which average earnings rate, you know, right, return on investment, you know, so a lot of times the emotional decision for the student is my friend goes there, you know, they're big time division one in football, you know, again, it's a lot of emotional pieces, you know, but sometimes the financial reality, and again, not nothing against college, high school and college age students, but they don't know, right? They have never made that kind of money. They don't really understand, you know, going in student loan debt and repayment and think what any of that stuff really means. So usually that falls on the family who, again, want the best for their children, as do, you know, my, you know just as do I for mine. Uh, but sometimes it's that reality, the, the financial reality and the emotional, well, I need to go to this school or I need to send her to this school because it's the quote-unquote best school, so says U.S. News and World reports of the ones that she got accepted to. Yeah,
0: so you you mentioned student loans, and one, I think one of the challenges in in guiding, you know, in giving students guidance on this is you take a 17, 18-year-old who's used to earning minimum wage, and they look at it and say, well, when I get out of college, I'll be making, you know, 50, 60, $70,000 a year or more. So what's the big deal about borrowing $50,000 to, to go to college? Um, what, what suggestions do you have for families to, to help explain that
1: reality to, to a teenager? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, this is a tough one. Um, so and again, I was a biology major, so let's talk, let's talk a little about brain development for those that care. So <laughs> our brains are not fully developed until we hit 25, okay? So nothing against our teenagers, but the thought in the idea of, so let's take typical college student. I'm off, I do my FAFSA for four years. I'm offered my federal loans each year, 5,500 freshmen, 6,500 sophomore, 7,500 junior and senior. That's $27,000 of student loan debt at graduation, which comes out to about $300 a month on a 10-year repayment plan. Now, as you said, Ian, working minimum wage, I may not be making $300 a month, so I really can't fully comprehend and understand that. The other challenging piece, and I think I've touched on this a little early, is, again, when I'm looking at my colleges that I've been accepted to, if I'm fortunate enough to get into my REACH school, there's little or no grant or scholarship money coming there. So I'm really gonna have to pay and really gonna have to, again, $27,000 of federal student loan debt at a state school like mine, that covers about half tuition, okay? So, okay, so where's the other half coming from? And then if we're gonna live on campus, we've gotta add another 10 to $15,000 a year. So there's no way with the federal student loans, even getting grant and scholarship money. That's where that gap comes from. Again, some are fortunate and have 529 plans that are going to close that gap. Some are fortunate to have earnings and savings that can do a monthly payment plan and cover that gap that way. But lots of families they don't have. Again, looking at some schools, you know, 10, 20, you know, sixty thousand dollars. You know, so that's where you know the parent loan, the private student loan. But again, at my reach school, I may really want to go there, but financially, that just might not be reality for me and my family. Whereas my safety school, or a lesser school, in my opinion, has given me a better financial aid package. Is that my first choice? No, I don't know the percentage of college students that go to their first choice school, but I don't think it's as high as people might want hope. You know, can we make this work with the financial circumstances, you know, things like that. The last piece, and this isn't really reality, but what I try to share with students, most college students are working these days. They're usually not doing such that they're putting themselves through school. You know, generations ago, that might have been reality, but with the cost of higher education, unless we're talking a community college, I'm not going to be able to work and put myself through a four-year college. It's just not reality
0: no because that's like
1: more than a full-time job (laughs) right (laughs) to earn enough to right but when it comes to and again this is easier said than done for some students um you know so i am working through high school and i'm putting some money aside now it's not going to pay for my tuition and fees per se and room and board if i elect to live on campus but what about my books? You know, you know. I tell my students, I want you to work and earn at least fifteen hundred dollars over the course of the year that you've put aside, so that you can have it for books and supplies, you know, things like that. And heck, maybe you do earn a little bit more, and you can put some towards your bill. You know, I I, I always think, try to use the analogy of every dollar that I can pay out of pocket, grant, scholarship, payment plan, earnings, savings. That's oh, that might be in reality more like $2 if I were to borrow it, right? Because I'm borrowing now, and then I'm on a 10 to 25 year repayment plan. Again, not understanding how compound interest works. You know, a dollar borrowed today might be worth $2 by the time I pay it off. You know, so try to at least teach some of those, you know, basic personal finance tips, which we'll touch on it hopefully in, in a few moments. But So it's hard, it's hard, you know, because a 17, 18 year old you know doesn't really can't really see into the future okay parents can advisors can but you know it's tough
0: it's tough that's that's for sure so you know before before we wrap up if there was if there was one thing or maybe it's two or three or four things <clears throat> that you really 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 want everyone to know before they start applying to colleges what would what would that be
1: So, and I've mentioned this to an extent, but maybe not use their exact term. You know, when you're putting your college list together, you've got your reach schools, your moderate schools, and then maybe your safety schools. I always say, make sure you have a financial safety that you'd be willing to go to if it doesn't work out at, you know, maybe more of the high-priced institutions. So for some students, that's the local two-year community college. For others, it's the the public four-year school you know, within their state, it might be the flagship, you know, for your public school in their state. I sometimes will work with families and say, figure, before you even look at schools, figure out how much, could I pay for that school with not a penny in financial aid, okay? So a community college that costs, you know, maybe $5,000 a year, can we make, can we make that work without a penny of financial aid? Yes or no, and then move on again to the local public full year. Um, because you don't know what you're getting in financial aid, you know, from the gapping and the merit aid and need-based and things of that nature. This is more on the financial literacy side of the house. So a good portion of my time and effort is spent working with families for paying for college, and and I get that, you know, the whole enrollment, you know, the whole enrollment management piece, retention, graduation. But on a personal finance or a financial literacy side of the house, I don't know how it is in in Oregon. I can tell you here in Connecticut, most of our Connecticut high schools offer a personal finance class. It's not a requirement at most of those schools, but I tell my students, please take a personal finance class or connect with a family member or friend that, relative that you know who's good with money because just understanding the basics of compound interest, not even talking about credit and investing yet, which are other, you know, interest that I work with my students with, but just to understand the basis. Oh, I'll take a loan and I'll pay it back. Okay, but do you, but do you really understand? You know what that means? Um, I like to use quotes. Ben Franklin has has a lot of them attributed to him. An investment in knowledge pays the best interest. It's probably kind of a famous one. I kind of like to share that one. Um, another two left. Um, scholarships. Okay, we know that. I'm probably not gonna get a full ride at the college I applied to, okay? The school may give some grant and scholarship funding, from federal work-study funding and some loan. But again, I know there's gonna be a gap, we just don't know how big that is. So free money, private scholarships. Students and parents, their employers, do they offer scholarships for the employee? Do they offer scholarships for children of employees? The grocery store that you work at, do they offer scholarships for employees? The local community center, the place of worship, local scholarships, they tend not to be huge amounts. We're not talking $10,000, $20,000 a scholarship, $500 here, $1,000 there, right? Every little bit helps when we're trying to pay for school. So I don't think enough students fully take advantage of scholarships. During my time when I worked in financial aid, I had one student, and every time his name came across my desk, it was a scholarship check. This young man, now granted, this was 15 years ago, but he made money going to college because he elected to commute. He attended a four-year public, and he earned more scholarship money than the cost of the school. It's rare, but the scholarships are definitely out there. You know. Yeah. And street. I think
0: you you know you raise a great point about scholarships, and I'll I'll interject on on that. You know, a lot of people think Fast Web or places like that are the best place to go to find scholarships, and there certainly are more scholarships listed there. But if you look at your local resources and the places that you and your family are already engaged, um, there may not be as many scholarships there, but the applicant pool is going to be much smaller.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, those, again, those, and I have, we, we have a scholarship page on our website that has all those national searches, and they're great to make connections. You know, the duct tape prom dress contest, you know, things that, you know. Are, it's are, are, scholarship. Are <laughs> exactly. These are real scholarships, but, the, right, the competition of those, the Coca-Cola, the Gates Scholarship, yeah, those local ones, albeit them smaller, there's definitely less competition, so they're more realistic. Yeah,
0: like my daughter's got a great scholarship and, and her um, one of her teachers had recommended that she applied for it. She'd never heard of it and she did apply and she got it and it's it's been a fabulous scholarship to have. Right, right,
1: right. Yeah, I think just the last point and we've touched on this before. And again, my, my daughter's not quite college age material yet so I may speak a different tune uh, in a few years but the whole emotion versus finances, okay it's an emotional decision for the student, it's an emotional decision, you know, for the family. My hope for families is that they bring the financial reality into the conversation such that there aren't a lot of, you know, heartbreaks, okay? You know, I, so my my friend, you know, sent me a, a text recently, you know, when the Ivy League schools all made their decisions, right, last week, okay? And, you know, again, I. You know, I'm glad I wasn't in the house that night, you know, you know, you know, because it just sounds like, you know, it's it's just a traumatic, you know, you know, piece for students. You know, this is the first time, you know, young adults have heard the word no, right? They've heard no, they've seen rejections, things like that. And they think, oh, my life's over because I didn't get into, you know, my dream school. Again, Again, the reality is there are so many wonderful colleges out there, be them private, be them public, you know you're not going to be a failure because you didn't get into your first choice school. Okay. And you're going to be so successful. Then, no matter but, where you go, you just have to, you know, make the right. Again, it, it is emotional and I get it, but there needs to be a financial piece to it because it's not free and it's the, you know, the largest expense that, you know, young adults, you know, will make in their life until, you know, purchasing a home. If they're that fortunate. Yeah.
0: When I always say it to parents, you know, look around, you know, plenty of successful people who didn't go to ivy league schools and so why would you think that your child is any less able than those people to be successful
1: right, right, right. and i think selfishly as parents you know I, I this is for myself you know i want my daughter to have a better opportunity than i had lots of parents want that for their children you know so does that mean the xyz school sticker on the back of the car uh, you know things like that but yeah, I think it's, you know, the reality of, you know, college, you know, it's what I think is really a shame is that, you know, the whole it's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, buying a plane ticket, you know, you know, you could be sitting beside me and we probably paid a different cost for that ticket. You may have bought it earlier and paid more. I may have bought it late because a seat opened up and they were trying to, you know, fill the plane, things like that, you know. Again, it's a business, you know, but, you know, students and families, if they know the process and can understand the process and make a good academic and financial decision, you know, I believe the student will be successful and hopefully graduate with less debt so that doesn't put them back at home or, you know, they can't buy a home or they can't get married. You know, a lot of the challenges that we read about, you know, we have, you know, 50, 100 thousands of dollars of student loan debt. Yeah,
0: and unfortunately, college is the one big financial decision that people make that nobody puts any guardrails around it. True, very true. You know, you can't buy more house than you can afford. You can't buy more car than you can afford, but you can definitely buy more college than you can afford.
1: (laughs) Great point, absolutely. That's absolutely true. Yeah.
0: Well, Lou this has been so helpful. If I were to summarize it, I, I, you know, I, 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 and, and, and hopefully people don't just go for the summary because you had so much great um, detail in there. Families need to be thinking about the dollars before they start thinking about the, the schools. Um, It's helpful to understand how the FAFSA works and, and you need to have a family conversation about costs and hopefully it's before April 7th when the the ivy leagues give their um give their admissions data data out and and don't overlook um local scholarships which most high school um guidance offices will have have a list of them as as well well Lou thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure to have you here today and I really appreciate all the all the wisdom that you've been so generous in sharing.
1: Oh, my pleasure. I'm happy to help. Thank you again for having me.
0: Thanks. And you've been listening to the College Financial Lady Podcast with Lou DeLuca of Southern Connecticut State University's Financial Literacy Program. Thanks so much.